Let's go to Luke chapter 15. We've been in a series looking at different chapter 15s that are throughout the Bible. And guys, I've been looking forward to Luke 15 because if you remember this series years from now, which I know all of you will, right? But I hope that you will always remember Luke 15 because it's one of the most remarkable chapters in the Bible. In fact, typically you do a three-week series on Luke 15, which I've done probably a few times in my ministry, but we're going to do it all today. And the title of the message is The Value of One. The Value of One. And I want you to see that theme throughout Luke 15. While you're getting there and getting comfortable going to church center, we got church center has a little facelift to it, the CIL. So if you're curious about that, go look at it. It looks pretty good. looks really good, actually. Check that out. I want you to be aware of something called CIL Forward. This is a way for you to learn about who we are and where we're going because we're a church that is going somewhere. So CIL Forward, one of the things we remind people of there is our mission. And it may even be on the screen. It says this, we exist to know his love and to share his love. Guys, these are great services. I love worshiping God. I love you know, saying hi, hanging out with people, hearing his word. I want more of that, but I want other people to experience that also. So as we, the Lord takes us somewhere as a church, remember, it's, yes, it is about us, but it's not only about us. It's about us and the world in which we live. And so I'm excited about being a part of a church that knows his love and shares his love. Well, some have called Luke chapter 15, the gospel of the outcast, which I like that because uh, I'm qualified for that. Not the gospel of the insiders, but the gospel of the outcast. And in this gospel, we see that Jesus is very concerned about the lost. So we're going to start with verse 1 and we'll read through verse 7. And I'm going to, first of all, read 1 and 2 and then give a little bit of commentary there. And then we'll, we'll conclude. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So let's just stop there for a second. This tells us the purpose of the three stories Jesus is going to tell. He tells two stories because he, excuse me, three stories because he's speaking to Pharisees and whenever I hear scripture about Pharisees and scribes, it gets my attention because I'm like, that's kind of, that was my people if I would have been alive 2,000 years ago. So it makes me want to reflect more about my life and, and about who I am. So the three stories, I want you to remember this. It is for, it is, it is for the Pharisees and scribes for them to value individuals. We'll read now through verse 7 and then I'll present this as the word of the Lord. And so he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. And this is the word of the Lord. So in verse 4, he says, suppose one of you. You know, suppose one of you. Let's just, he says, this is, this is kind of a common thing that happens. We see this story about a shepherd with a sheep, and we're like going straight to metaphor. But the original here is this was something that happened commonly. It'd be like me saying, hey, suppose you were driving to Nashville and you were low on gas. Wouldn't you find the next exit and refill with gas? And you're like, yeah, that's obvious. This is the tone Jesus is telling these people this first story. The first story, we're going to call it the lost sheep. The lost sheep and organize it that way. It's like this, this happens all the time. This is something that we know what the obvious answer would be. Now, a hundred sheep, that was kind of an average amount of sheep. A, a, a shepherd would care for 20 to 200 sheep. So like 100 is a bright, right there about in the middle, about average. Obviously, there was economic concern and the sheep provided, you know, economic resources for the shepherd. And so there was, there was this idea of the value of, the economic value to them. And so they would have to walk long distances in the open field. That was very common to find water. And at the end of the day, it's time to count the sheep. 98, 99, where's the 100th sheep? Now, I know this, that I was a youth pastor for like 10 years and would take youth activities and trips, and we always had to count at the end. I, was, I would just kind of get nervous about that. I took that responsibility very seriously. And I have verification in this room from my wife and, and my children that sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night in a panic because I think I've lost a kid. I go, ha, ah, and I wake up, and it's like my heart's just beating. I feel like I've lost count. And there's, there's some fun, not really fun stories. One time our youth staff, and youth staff don't do this to Pastor Mauricio. They hit a kid, and, and they count, and yeah. So, so I've got some trauma. I've got some trauma. So a good youth pastor, a good shepherd's counting the kids, making sure everybody's there. And this is what the shepherd did. And so Jesus is saying, he's saying, isn't it obvious you would go after this one? Now, here's what I don't want you to miss here. The 99 here represent the Pharisees and the scribes. That's who the 99 are. Now, I have always read this maybe with a wrong assumption, the assumption that Jesus would abandon the 99 for the one. But I now don't, I don't quite believe that's what it's trying to say. Because there's an assumption, even though it's not clearly stated, that other neighbors would be watching the 99 or the shepherd would be watching the 99. But the one wouldn't be left behind. And Jesus would go after the one. Even though it was a difficult, if you had been walking through an open field and didn't realize when the one had drifted off, it would take time. It would take effort. But that one really matters. And this is what Jesus was communicating to the Pharisees of why he would have supper with tax collectors and sinners. Because that one really does that with us here in the body of Christ, even with our own families, is 
Sometimes it feels like 99 are sticking with the program, following the rules. And there's just that one. We're doing pretty good. I mean, to have 99, the heart of Jesus says, make the extra effort to find the one. But I think we missed the climax of the story. The climax of the story is, is the party after the rescue. That's the exciting part of the story. Yes, it's exciting to know that Jesus, as a shepherd, goes after the lost. But it's also exciting, exciting to know that the, that the one was found. But then there is joy with the neighbors. There is anticipation of the one who was lost being found again. And you're going to see that same theme in the next two stories we talk about. So I don't know if you like to organize, if you like to clean. I am naturally a disorganized person. I'm naturally disorganized and messy. Uh, But uh, my mom told me when I was a kid, she said, organization is an acquired skill. And I didn't know what that meant, but I heard that for a couple of years of my life. And now I believe it. And so even though I'm not naturally organized, there's a lot of things in my life that are. And what I like about organizing and cleaning is rediscovering stuff I'd forgotten about. I mean, if you actually clean out a storage unit or clean out a closet or clean out a corner of the room or clean out the back of your car, it's like money in the bank. It's like you find something that you're not going to have to buy again. And you're like, I forget. It's like, it's, like the, it's like getting something twice. You bought it five years ago. You lost it for a year. And now you found it in the corner of your closet. You found it once again. So that's, that is the feeling and the emotion that a lot of us maybe felt that as I just gave that illustration. But also those who heard Jesus tell the next story felt that same emotion, the story of the lost coin. That's the second story we'll share. Starting with verse 8, Jesus again gives a very obvious, relatable story, something we all deal with. We deal with it still to this day. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, And search carefully until she finds it. Now, this coin is believed to be about one day's wage. And so, something valuable. I mean, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, if I've worked all day long, what's the value of this? Like, for example, you you know, if if you're working a job where you're making $15 an hour and you forgot to pack your lunch... And so you use, um, what, what's a service that brings people food? DoorDash. DoorDash. And by the time you pay and tip and give the user fee, your lunch costs $17, you just lost $2 of your life. You, you, just, you just worked, you, you just lost $2 at that hour. And so when you start to be, value your time that way, and like, how much do I work? Like, how much does this $7 coffee really cost me? How much of my time did it cost me? Start thinking about money that way, it's, it's, it's kind of good. Well, that's what's happening here. I mean, this lady has one day's wage in this coin. And she lost it at night. Why is that? Because she had to light the lamp. <laughs> you know why? She, she loses her coin and she's not even going to wait till tomorrow. 
It is so valuable. It's like, I can't even wait for the sun to come up. I've got to find this tonight. I've had that feeling before where I've just been almost panicky. Like, I've got to find this. I know that the conditions are better tomorrow, but if I don't find it tonight, I'm not going to sleep well. And so she sweeps the house. She searches carefully until she finds it. And then when we get to verse 9, here is, here is the, the high point of the story. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Hear this, Pharisees. Hear this, scribes. You guys are all concerned that Jesus, that this is what I'm reading into this. Jesus said, you're, you're, you're concerned about me eating with someone who's not clean, but heaven is concerned about their repentance. Heaven is concerned about their eternal condition, their soul, who they are. And so it is that heaven rejoices when one, one is saved, one is found. And that's God's heart for us. When God sees this congregation, he, he doesn't see a room full of people. He sees individual hearts, stories, lives. He sees you. He sees all that is before you, all that is behind you, all that is on you. And the angels of heaven rejoice with you. And so it is that the diligent effort we make to light the candle and sweep the floor and find that person makes a difference. Guys, listen, your effort, your efforts for God make a difference in people's lives. And let us continue to be be like Jesus and spend time with people who don't know him. And also do the extra things to find that which has been overlooked. The third story is probably one of the most famous relatable stories in the Bible because it's about a rebellious son. And we're going to call it the lost son. The lost son. Many times it's been called the prodigal son. And it's helpful because now you guys are probably thinking, oh, I think a lot of you, I know this story. But it may have been the prodigal son may have the wrong emphasis. Because the emphasis here is really on the father. It's about the father's perspective and the father's heart. But we can all relate to it because we've all either been a rebellious, a rebellious son or daughter or we've had a rebellious son or daughter, or we've had a brother or sister or niece or nephew who have, who have been rebellious. And I'm not talking about just for a conversation or for a day, but sometimes for very long periods of time. And the complications in the parent-child, guardian-child relationship are so deep that we feel this story. Isn't it interesting that a great parable a great story is timeless, right? It, 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 it moves past generations and moves past all of the cultural differences we would have with Jewish people separated by 2,000 years. And we relate to this. We're like, yeah, I can see myself 
as the son. I can see myself as the father. We're going to read this in a second in case you don't know that. But the basic nature of a parent-child relationship and all of those complications help us, help us relate well to this. So let's start with verse 11. We're going, to, we're going to read through 24. It's a longer passage, but it will be a blessing for us to, to read this story. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up. Go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with the feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found So they begin to celebrate. You see the theme three times. The climax of the story is the celebration. There's more to that story with the older brother that we won't focus on right now, but it's good for you to read that on your own. What I want to focus on is the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, And God went after all of those because they're valuable. You see, religious leaders, unfortunately, sometimes we look look at crowds and we look at masses and we look at data and we look at numbers. And that can be a real sin for us. It was a sin for David when God said, don't take a census. And he took a census anyway. And so we know this. There's other appropriate times in the book of Acts where numbers were given. So that's not a... That's not a law, that's not something that always holds, but it's a principle that when we look at the masses, sometimes pride gets in our hearts and we forget the value of one. And so here it was, just as Beth mentioned in her sermon last week, is that people are more important than rules. In verse 1 and 2, you saw that the Pharisees were, were offended and upset and complaining that Jesus was eating with the wrong kinds of people. And then Jesus said, hey, 
who among you, who among you wouldn't go find that lost sheep? Who among you wouldn't, wouldn't sweep her house clean to find that coin? And then we go to the story we just read about the father. There's so many interesting things we could talk about. One of them is the famine. And I want you to understand this, is that sometimes a famine can be a blessing to you. Because when we don't have the wisdom, the wisdom that we stand on from others revealed in Scripture and revealed in the lives of those who have lived through the Scripture, uh, we, we become worldly. And we don't choose the Father's house. We choose our own way. And sometimes it takes a famine losing to realize how good you had it before. Sometimes that losing that account or losing that job or losing that prestige or having to give up that house, whatever it is, it might seem like the worst thing naturally to happen to you. But maybe God is concerned so much about your soul that famine comes to your life Because he wants you to remember how good it is in the Father's house. And so so we see that in seasons of famine, that people think about the Lord more. 2008, 2009, we didn't know if our economy would recover. We thought about the Lord. There was more fervent prayer in this house. There was more desire for the Lord. Other concerns, other global concerns that have happened. All the things I don't have to list because you're thinking about them already. These things turn our hearts to the Lord when when there's a perceived, felt famine in us. And so I say, I say to us, let us be people of wisdom and discipline that we don't have to have the famine make us realize how good the Father's house really is. And we know that it's good. It's interesting that The lost son had a job taking care of pigs. And if you've forgotten about this, that in the Jewish religion, that pigs were considered unclean. Pigs were considered off limits. Swine was something you would not eat. And even if you touched the swine, touched them, you would be unclean for certain parts of the temple. And so it is that He was at the lowest place, caring for pigs. And he wasn't just caring for pigs. He he was hoping that the the prodigal son, as we call him, was was hoping to have the food that the pigs had. So it's like the lowest of the low. It's like, I'm not just watching the pigs. I'm jealous of the pigs. It's not that I'm just caring for them. I'm jealous of what they have. It's the lowest place you can be. And so he comes up with this plan. I'm going to go back to the father. I'm going to go back to my dad. And I'm just going to hope that I could be a servant there. I'm just going to hope that I could get the lowest possible position at the house. Maybe there'll be mercy in my dad. Maybe he'll give me another chance. Maybe he'll have mercy on me. And as we just read, something amazing happened. You know, God is a God that's never in a hurry, except at the end of Luke 15. I think it's the only time in the Bible where God picks up the pace and has 
a hurry within him. Why is God in a hurry? He's not scrambling out of anxiety or scrambling out of fear. It's love that's compelling the Father to run to the Son. And he does this. This is breaking all, all of the cultural norms for the Middle East. Ahead of the home, a father would not disgrace himself by running, especially running to a son who had tricked him, who had disgraced him. We know that this, this culture of shame is still very much alive in our world today in different segments and even in that part of the world. And the worst thing you can do in that culture is to bring shame upon an authority figure. And that's exactly what the lost son had done. He had brought shame. But father, this story, the father ran to him and put his, embraced him, embraced him and hung on his neck. It's a story that is so tender and real that we'll think about it the rest of our lives and we'll get new insight all the time. I hope that if you're ever feeling invaluable in the future, you'll remember Luke chapter 15. You'll skim it either on paper or in your mind and especially in your heart. And say, I was a lost sheep. I was a lost coin. I was a lost son, a lost daughter. But Jesus, Jesus swept it clean. Jesus, he ran to me and he showed me great value. Now, I've talked about the one. And I've talked about the one. I've talked to us about individuals. But there's a huge part of these stories that I've alluded to, but I don't want you to miss. Okay? Yes, the one matters. The one matters to God. But the one matters to the community. The one matters to the community. The, the shepherd said, tell the neighbors, I found the one. The lady who's in the parable who swept clean and found the coin announced it to her friends for a party. And then, here the father killed the fatted calf. Who, it was only, only the, the prime best cow to eat was only for special days, maybe even the day of atonement. But he said, no, this is special. He's back. He's back in the community. He's back with us. And part of people knowing God's forgiveness and feeling God's forgiveness is not only a theological position, and that's where it starts, but it's the hearts of the people who know this story. Yes, God is the only one who forgives, and through Jesus, he has made that forgiveness. There is nothing more than the work of Jesus through the cross and resurrection that brings us forgiveness. But people feel the forgiveness by the love of the community. And so, let us not only see ourselves in this story, but let us see ourselves as the friend of the shepherd, as the friend of the lady who found the lost coin, and as part of the father's household. And when people make huge mistakes and do dumb things, just like I've done, and they repent of those things, let's bring them back in. 
Let's bring them back in. Let's bring them back in as sons and daughters, not as has-beens, not as halfway members, but they're back in. Because the father brought the, the lost son, he restored his position as a son, not as a servant. And he is the one doing that, but he's doing it also, it's felt through the way we live. And so may we do his work and may we do the work of the Lord for us. I want to share one last quote with you and Pastor Jacob, you can join me as I'm doing that. I found this quote by a pastor from the 20th century. He's passed away, A.W. Tozier, and I thought about this as, as I thought about the prodigal son and the father, the father going to the prodigal son. Here's a great thought. When the eyes of the soul looking out meet the eyes of God looking in, heaven has begun right here on earth. Thank you, Lord, for running to us.